Hi, this is Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks for joining us here on Max and Murphy. We're going to be joined in just a few moments by Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer, who uh, is coming on our show for the first time. Yeah. I think she is the third Borough President we've been Yes. Pleasure pleased yeah. to have. <laughs> We're going to uh, have to get the other two at some point, although Melinda Katz is busy with her district attorney campaign. But we definitely want to talk to Jimmy Otto of Staten totally. Island. Even though that, that is a long distance call. Whatever the on. tolls are that he has to pay to uh, <laughs> get on the airwaves. But um, it's going to be great to talk to Borough President Brewer because, A, she always has a lot to say, which is great. And there's just there's a lot going on that, of course, as Manhattan Borough President, she's got uh, on her plate. But but there are some things certainly that we want to talk to her about that aren't necessarily, you know, things that just come to her and she has to then address. But she's been very proactive, I think, in a few of these instances related to development and, you know, some of the land use items that she's really, you know, going out there on that we want to get her take on. Of course, land use comes before the borough president all the time, but she's really taking some fairly aggressive measures to insert herself and her constituents, or at least the constituents she believes she's representing in some of these land use matters. Right. Kind of emblematic of the role that a borough president can play. Brewer obviously making full use of the powers that are granted to her uh, in that office under the charter. And then, you know, pushing to define those powers through litigation and and using her position as kind of a bully pulpit to, to push beyond that, which is what you would expect uh, people using that office to, to do. And, and then beyond development that relates to housing, certainly this plan for uh, a jail in lower Manhattan, we want to get her take on. We're going to ask her about this charter revision process that's moving through. What exactly does she think now that the, as we covered on a previous show, you know, what does she think of the preliminary report from the Charter Commission staff, and what does she really want to see in the outcomes of that, especially as it relates to the borough president's powers, um, and just a variety of other matters in terms of things that she's working on, resiliency matters. You know, there's a lot to discuss with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know Brewer, who was a city council member uh, before becoming borough president, I think it's fair to say respected fairly widely for being just a, a skilled uh, operator of government um, you know in the council she headed up the technology committee um, an early focus on using technology to better engage New Yorkers in their government someone who's been thinking about that for a long time someone who gave a very detailed presentation to the Charter Revision Commission when it was first kind of collecting ideas for the direction it was going to take this year. A lot of ideas about land use, about budgeting, uh, other elements of uh, how city government operated, some of which reacted directly to the borough president's role and some were much more general. So definitely want to get her take on that. And we've been covering sort of that civic technology space quite a bit at Gotham Gazette, and she has certainly carved that space out for herself as one of the few elected officials that's really focused on expanding technology access, improving digital literacy. You know, she's her office is sort of exploring with when and how the city can move to 5G speed technology and and all sorts of things related to that. And then also going back to what you brought up of her city council days, she was a major force behind the city's paid sick days law um, that eventually found its way through in the end of the Bloomberg years and then was strengthened in the early de Blasio years. She was really a big force behind that. So she's got a very interesting resume. She's also going to be term limited out like just about everybody else in city government at the end of this cycle. So we'll get at least a couple minutes with her, hopefully on what her plans are. 
Definitely. And someone who in that position she has now, I mean, uh, one of the mayoral hopefuls, Scott Stringer, was Manhattan Borough President before uh, Brewer. Um, obviously, her office will be up for grabs because, as you mentioned, she's term limited and there are some interesting machinations around that. So, yeah, I think someone who uh, has been in the public um, sphere for, for a while, some of it behind the scenes. She was an aide to a previous uh, Manhattan Borough President, Ruth Messenger, um, and then in the council and, and now in this office. So someone who has been in this world for a while and really, I think, as much as anyone straddles the line between really getting her hands uh, dirty or her, her sleeves rolled up, digging into some of the more intricate aspects of city policy, especially on you know, not particularly sexy topics like technology and budgeting and stuff, and then also, obviously, a political, a political animal, too. So, And now let's welcome to Max and Murphy, Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Absolutely. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, You're talking with Ben Max of Gotham Gazette and Jarrett Murphy of City Limits, of course. Um, So we've got a bunch of things we want to sort of get your take on and where you're at with things and certain projects you're working on. But, um, you know, just from your perspective, what's sort of top of mind for you right now? What's, uh, What's at the top of your agenda these days? Well, the top of our agenda is always the rezoning and the uh, lack of affordable housing. Um, that's always whether it is, you know, uh, how we're going to deal with NYCHA, how we're going to deal with Inwood, East Harlem, Soho NoHo, uh, South Street Seaport area, two bridges. Those are the, I would say, the top. Then you have all of the uh, transportation issues. You know, I think you wanted to talk about the L project, so that's one. And then um, we're always working on the schools. Today I met with all of the uh, superintendents and the what we call CECs, which are the community education councils, to see how we can keep improving the schools in the borough of Manhattan. Um, I could go on, Ben, but those are just <laughs> some of the issues. Well, let me ask you about the rezoning, because as you mentioned, there have been a couple of the, the big ones in your borough, East Harlem. It's a couple of years back now, and Inwood more recently. Yep. Now that those are, to varying degrees, in the rear view, what's your take on their impact so far? I know in each case you raised um, some, some very textured objections to the way the city was proceeding, and some of those were reacted to and some weren't. What did you feel about the final product, and, and what what are you seeing in terms of impact, in terms of, uh, you know, kind of real life? In East Harlem, I have to give Melissa Mark Riverita credit because there is an actual neighborhood plan. And then there is, the, you know, the plan that passed. And you can compare them and you can work toward what the, you know, whether it's the neighborhood plan and the city plan that passed mirrors much of it. So we recently had a meeting uh, with uh, organized by the local new council members, Diana Ayala, and it was excellent. There were, I don't know, eight agencies there, housing, um, environmental protection, health, housing preservation and development, and each one, uh, Economic Development Corporation, each one went through, these are the issues that we have been able to address, this is what's going on. Excellent, you know, back and forth with the community and the community board. So, you know, I can't say there's one thing that's specifically changing, but you know where the effort is. Um, In Inwood, more recent, as you know, there was no neighborhood plan, so it makes it harder. There was a resolution that was passed by the community board, but there's no neighborhood plan. Uh, There's one building that is going up that's affordable housing, but there's a lot of concern about what's next. So I would say the Inwood doesn't have any... uh, you know, sort of take back 
uh, feedback from the different agencies yet. So that's a to be discussed. Um, we did today have a meeting about East Midtown, mm -hmm. which is more of a commercial uh, rezoning. And in that case, I think it is going well in the sense that the um, J.P. Morgan is uh, taking place, as you know, a building that has to both give back $41 million. I think it's about that much for the parks and public space in the future. And they're giving money to the MTA. And there'll be other buildings like that. There was a discussion about the Grand Hyatt, which is right next to uh, Grand Central, originally owned by a guy named Donald Trump. <laughs> And so that particular building also is going to be falling under the East Midtown, have to have public space, and we'll have to have transit improvements. So that it's easier, to be honest with you, in a commercial space than in uh, residential. So there's some other uh, land use items that have certainly um, been on your agenda, um, whether it's the Holmes Tower infill proposal, uh, the 200 Amsterdam project. There's a variety of things going on. You've got a couple lawsuits filed. Um, where, where do you want to start on those? I mean, what are some of the, the top lines there? Why don't we start on the NYCHA project? I mean, sure. this is um, obviously the de Blasio administration sort of moving forward with this element of the plan that they were a little more hesitant in terms of bringing in revenue for NYCHA by developing on what they and others uh, sometimes call underused NYCHA land. Um, and so what's the problem there from your perspective? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I understand that the uh, city needs money, but I'm a big believer in the uniform land use review procedure, even on NYCHA land. And in this particular case, it's not necessarily relevant to all NYCHA, but we do think that this city is violating the state public housing law, which requires local public review and approval by a governing body. And that's what it says, and that does mean ULURP. So at Holmes, which is uh, uh, York Avenue in the 90s, uh, is proposed um, a 50-50, very, 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 very tall building, much taller than the current uh, developments that are there owned by NYCHA. Um, and, uh, you know, under current zoning, if in fact it did go through ULERP, its height and placement would not be allowed because it is too tall for that area. Um, so if it was across the street or nearby, it would have to go through ULERP. So the mayor, because he, uh, he used what we call a mayoral override in order to escape the zoning requirement, um, yes, there were some meetings with the residents, but not a lot of public input because didn't have to go through ULERP. Um, the and other just, just to note, when you say 50-50, that means the planned development is set to be 50% market rate, 50% uh, under affordable housing. Yeah. Sorry, I should have been. Yeah, good. No, no, go ahead. Um, the other issue is the money. So NYCHA would earn $25 million from this package from the developer. Um, although, again, anybody who does... Uh, financial packaging of buildings says that the location and the building size require it to be much more. And so if you have, I keep going back to the uniform land use review procedure, if you have a public policy, then that gets debated. So the developers giving $25 million to NYCHA to fix up the apartments, is that the right amount? I don't know. I always hear it should be a lot more. But that's why you have a public process. 
Um, and do you so, think that I guess this is a this is a question bigger than Holmes Towers, but this goes to the you know debate about whether ULERP is sufficient process or not. Obviously, it, it does have a mechanism for public input, but you know, given what we've seen with the ULERPs around the rezonings. Would you expect that ULERP would produce meaningful change in the size or scope or finances of the Holmes project, or, yeah. or would it just be about, you know, kind of sticking to a process? No, I think it would definitely be different. Um, I don't know if the size would be different. I don't know if the package that the developer is giving to the city uh, would be different. As an example, um, I can also tell you that, you know, the uh, developers giving money to the city, but the city's also giving money back in terms of um, what they're getting in terms of some of their abatements. So all of that would be discussed. Mm -hmm. And there was also a discussion, I don't know if it's right or wrong, that the playground where this particular building is being built at this moment is not the preference of the residents. They prefer that it be built around the corner, still on NYCHA land. There was a concern, apparently, that that particular location was too close to buildings in the neighborhood. So all of that should be transparent. So I think it would have been at least people would know that their best efforts were made. And I think in general, ULIP works. I mean, these rezonings are really tough. But at the end, you have... I won't say 100% buy-in, but you have some transparency and people have a plan to work from and they had some input. That's not what you're getting at homes, and I'm afraid that's not what we're going to get at other similar situations. Right, and this this question of ULERP and NYCHA has come up a few times. It was uh, in the background when Mayor Bloomberg proposed infill development, the fact that, uh, that that was kind of designed not to trigger ULERP, and I know it's been raised um, around the Gowanus houses and, and other places, too, right. as to whether the, you know, there needs to be a, a kind of a, a, an agreement that the city uh, laws around ULERP apply to NYCHA. But I'm curious, just to take a step back from the process issues, this idea of building privately owned housing on NYCHA land, on public housing land. There obviously are folks who go beyond the questions of process or the particulars of this of this of this homeless proposal to say that that troubles them, that they see that as a form of privatization, a slippery slope toward losing public housing. Obviously, there are arguments on the other side. What do you think about fundamentally the idea of the mayor's next-gen development, 50-50 development right. on NYCHA. I'd be glad to comment. Let me just point out one more thing specifically about homes, why we need ULERP. Just so you know, there is a feeling, again, this is to be discussed, this is why you need ULERP, that the building doesn't conform to zoning rules. There is no zoning district in New York City that allows a building more than 155 feet, which this is, at the street line let alone 500 feet. So I just want to say, in this particular case, you really should have a ULA process, all right? But to go, you know, there's just so many issues at homes. Specific, that's a specific mm -hmm. issue to homes. Um, in terms of the issue of uh, housing, public housing, and whether it should be public-private, if I had my druthers, I would only build affordable housing on this land. There's a couple of reasons. One of them, of course, is at least in Manhattan, a lot of the residents feel already that they're just surrounded by gentrification and they feel very isolated. 
so here would be more sort of uh, intrusion, so to speak, you know, on the public space, which they don't have much of. And don't forget the apartments are small. Uh, people may not know that many of the areas in the developments are, you know, beautifully landscaped in terms of how they're laid out, but there's not a lot of space inside. And you need that space. You need the trees and the grass, the bit that we have. Um, then you have this problem, which we're all aware of, of the very large billion and billion and billion dollars of deficit that NYCHA has. So we have a deficit of the subway and we have a deficit for NYCHA. And the subway, if congestion pricing goes through, which I assume it will, will at least be partially dealt with, right? I think we need to find something, I don't know exactly what it is, to deal with this uh, situation at NYCHA, you do get, if you build affordable housing, you do get some money for the building. It's not zero. And people who are better at packaging financing than I am might be able to do an even better job of that. Um, but I do think that putting high-income housing on NYCHA land is very, very problematic. There are places where, you know, 100% is being built as part of the uh, inward rezoning um, in the Dykeman houses, there will be housing, but it will be 100% affordable um, and affordable to people who can afford it in the neighborhood. That doesn't get you to $30 billion, though. That doesn't get you to $30 <laughs> billion, right? yeah. So that's where the challenge is. And I think it would be nice to have more of a discussion than we're having, which is, you know, selecting places top down, telling us this is what we're going to do. So that hits a theme, right? And I, I was going to ask you about the, the jail plan downtown, but let's go to that bigger theme for a second of communication from the administration. This is obviously always a tension, but how do you assess, we're now in year six of Mayor de Blasio, how do you assess his and his administration's uh, willingness and activity in working with local officials and local residents, of course, like borough presidents, like council members, like community boards, and then other community groups? How do you sort of assess his administration at the outreach that they do and their and their proactive communication? Well, you know, I'm a little bit of a different person because I've been around, you know, since the Lindsay administration. So I do have a lot of friends in no matter what administration it is in the different agencies. And so I do call them and I find that there's a I want to be very clear that there are phenomenal commissioners and phenomenal uh, people who work in the agencies. And. You know, and I could name tons of them where I've been working with people for 30, 40 years and we know how to communicate and I think they do communicate with um, the folks in uh, the communities. And of course, we work very, very hard in our office with the community boards to put new people on, to keep people who are there and have expertise and to have public hearings and so on. Um, I would say that the, you know, the town, the mayor goes to the town halls and participates but he does, in my opinion, people like to see him. They like to see his commissioners. They like to touch them. They like to ask them questions. And I think he needs. that's where there's a, you know, there needs to be a lot more of him going into the communities and sitting down with people and just having a discussion as opposed to the town hall, which isn't really a long-term sustainable kind of thing. It's very um, one-night-ish. Quick um, questions, I would say quick also answers, that, and then yeah. you know, in mm -hmm. some cases, like the uh, the lack of NYCHA, a lack of uh, ULIP at NYCHA, or 
this push to have, I make, I don't remember, 300,000 uh, units is important, but at the same time, how many are you losing despite all the efforts with bringing in uh, legal aid and legal services? And, you know, Lisa Manhattan, we want contextual zoning. We want a new building to fit in a large sense uh, with the community. And, you know, when you put in a brand new building, in a residential area that's 10 times taller, people are really upset. So, you know, I think uh, New York is expensive. You know, there hasn't been any feeling kind of for people's woes about the cost of the food and the transportation and the housing and all all of the everyday challenges that people are facing. And, and I don't think there's any feeling that there's compassion about that. And so I think people are frustrated about the... It's not just top-down. There's a lot of frustration about just everyday life. What about your own interactions with City Hall? You know, I'm curious, can you pick up the phone and and get the mayor on the line? Do you guys have much contact? I mean, you, you are the, the, the executive, the elected executive of a borough of 1.7 million people, be yeah. one of the top cities in the country if it were independent. Can mm-hmm. you pick up the phone and, and yes, get I can mayor? get the mayor. I can get any deputy mayor. I can get the commissioners. Um Emma Wolf was my student at Barnard College, so I can get the mayor's, her on the phone. The mayor's chief of staff, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I'm happy to get anybody on the phone. Can I change their mind sometimes on things that I think should not be taking place? Sometimes that's harder. But, yes, I can get anybody on the phone, and they're very, very responsive. I've never had anybody not call me back or not be responsive. I may not like the answer, um, and things take longer than I would like to get resolved. But I have no problem picking up the phone, and I always get an answer. Let me come back to um, something we were just discussing. You were sort of hitting on in terms of uh, residents wanting contextual zoning, and they want you know new buildings to fit in with their neighborhoods and such. There is a lot of conversation, especially in Manhattan, about this issue of, of nimbyism, right, of not in my backyard, whether it's on... Uh, affordable housing, whether it's on a shelter, whether it's on a bike lane, you know, as of right now, as Manhattan Borough President, how are you balancing the sort of nimbyish sort of instinct of a lot of communities versus, you know, the need to respond to modern ways of getting around or the fact that there's a such a housing crisis in the city or a small business crisis or whatever, you know, the, the, the big issues are, how are you managing that? Okay, so the bike lanes, I was on the community board in my area. I helped devise the bike lanes there. So I think uh, generally with bike lanes, I'm supportive. I did, you know, we're working right now, and it's it's hard, on Amsterdam, 110th Street and above in the community board 9 area. And there's been a lot of uh, challenges uh, and questions raised by the community board. So we're working with the local universities to come up with some data that the community board needed. So, you know, but you have to also work with the businesses. You have to go door to door. And maybe there's a what we call daylighting, meaning less parking spaces so that the business can park their truck, you know, on the corner, that kind of thing. So I do think that there's a lot of, um, you know, bike lane challenges that can be worked out. So the answer to your question is I try to work them out with the local community board. We had in the village uh, as part of the L train, you know, there's new uh, bike lanes. And I support them because I know that 
Uh, we want to get out of our cars. It's healthier, but we have to be safe. And parking is the real challenge. Um, I don't know that it slows down traffic or not. It's never been quite clear to me, but parking does uh, decrease. And all of those issues have to be addressed and have to be dealt with, and you have to figure out how to work with the residents at that time. I do think we should have more places for rental cars in the city of New York, and particularly Manhattan. I don't have a car. I rent a car. It's sometimes hard to find a rental car right now because of the uh, you know, uh, lack of parking garages available even for rental cars so you have to look at all of this and then as we do the congestion pricing which i support you have to listen to everybody's concerns and try to address them um so the bike lanes is one this other issue that i get perhaps most uh challenged on is the issue of uh supportive housing or housing for those who are homeless I have always been supportive, if and only if it's a quality nonprofit. If it's one that I think isn't going to do a good job, I'm the first to oppose it. And if it, you know, does have input, um, there has to be a what we call cab, which is a, uh, a group of residents who meet on a regular basis with the people in the building, the people who run the program, community board, etc. That group. Nonprofit has to be responsive 24 hours a day. You know, I have very high standards. Um, and it can't be too large because you can't overwhelm a community. We're running out of time. We want to get to a few other important sure. issues before we have to let you go. And so one quick question about the charter revision process. You've spoken about that. Yes. We've seen the staff report from the commission. In your assessment, do you feel that the topics that have been put on the table to this point would increase the power of borough presidents uh, in a constructive way? Are you disappointed? Are you happy with what you've seen so far? What's your reaction to what the staff has reported to the commission? Well, I don't know if it would increase the power of the borough presidents. I do want to have a pre-planning process for land use. I want in finance something that we call units of appropriation, which means that the uh, you know big bulk, you know, one billion dollar for toilet paper. It doesn't even say that. $1 billion for Department of Homeless Services. What's in that? We don't know. So that needs to be broken down. Um, I do know that um, I also have uh, concerns about how the Conflicts of Interest Board and the Civilian Complaint Review Board, without getting into specifics, they need to have different kinds of support. And of course, we're all talking about some changes to the election law, what we can do locally. So these are, I, these are hard issues, actually, because we have a representative who's extraordinary to get through the mayoral appointments, you know, because they don't want finance to change. They probably don't want land use to change. And I think um, the good news is everything is on the table and being discussed, and it's all been uh, streamed, and the public knows what's going on, and they've been going to the hearings, and I hope they show up at the Manhattan hearing. So That's I think it's a, it's a good process, much better than the one that the mayor had. This is a much more yeah, extended and evolved process. His was on a much shorter timeline last year. And you make a very good point, which we didn't bring up on our Charter Revision episode where we talked to the chair 
uh, Gail Benjamin about it, which is that, um, you know, the mayor is not in full control of this commission or didn't have the full appointments like he did last year, but he still has a plurality of the appointees. And as you say, any of the sort of proposals that would weaken the mayoral administration might have a hard time getting through his appointments. That's very that's very interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Um, all right. Last uh, last couple quick questions before we, we let you go. And we appreciate the time on the political side of things. We are we've basically already seen the sort of seeds of the next mayoral race happening. Um, you know, wanted to get just a couple of quick thoughts from you on what's coming up uh, around the corner in city elections. Um, first, your own future. Do you know when you're term limited out uh, at the end of this term what you'll be doing, pursuing next? I have, I'm have. i not sure yet. I do know that I like the borough of Manhattan. <laughs> right. There's been a lot of talk that you might even consider going back to the city council. Well, we'll see, but I do like my borough. That's all I'll say. <laughs> all right. And then lastly, um, you have two fellow uh, borough presidents who are clearly running for mayor, and Eric yeah. Adams and Ruben Diaz Jr. Your predecessor, Scott Stringer, yeah. clearly running. And then, of course, you know Corey Johnson well, the city council speaker. Those are the four we know people likely to run. Do you have an assessment of of the field lining up to to run for mayor? I I have not heard any other names either, so I know only what you know. I do know that the five borough presidents get together, and everybody's friendly, and we have a fabulous time together. (laughs) Very good. All right, Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you down the line. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, take care.